0: The Effect Podcast, episode 142. Good luck. You are on your own. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Matthew. And as usual, we have a packed programme. So packed, in fact, that we've taken one element out of it. Uh, uh, and it's not at all because Dave simply hasn't written in that element. It's, um, <laughs> we definitely decided that we already had enough content. And part of that is... Well, let me tell you about what we've got coming up. Yeah, what Obviously, are we, we've, what are we we've talking got, about today? Well, we've got a great number of patrons. Actually, we've had about five patrons join us this month, so <laughs> we've got a little bit devoted a bit more time than usual. Just saying thank you to everybody that's uh, joined our Patreon. Um, we've got the world of gaming, which is mostly going to be about UK Games Expo, which yes. I think we would agree turned out to be a great
0: success. I think it did. Yeah, we can we can talk about that in a bit more detail about how how it felt to be virtual, Um, some of the pros and cons, but yeah.
1: And we've also got uh, updates on a couple of Kickstarters that are still happening and have been very successful. The secret behind those, uh, which ones they actually are, you'll have to listen to the program to find out. (laughs) But then we're moving on with no sense of a segue at all to an Uh, interview uh, uh. with, well... What can we say about this interview, except are, to say that one not, of our We patrons, are not worthy.
0: We are not worthy. We are not worthy,
1: no. <laughs> uh, When we started out, boys and girls, when we started out, we started out pretty quickly um, moving from AD&D to Traveller. Yeah. And uh, I don't think a uh, little 12-year-old and whatever, however old we were when uh, we started playing Traveller had any thought that we'd be interviewing the guy that wrote Traveller, but Mark Miller is our guest on the show today, and uh, that's a great interview.
0: There were three greats back in the day, uh, Gary Gygax, Sandy Peterson, and Mark Miller, and these three people... And Greg Stafford. And Greg Stafford, but these three people... There were four
1: greats back in the day.
0: But these people took me through my teams in role-playing, so it was a great opportunity to chat to Mark for the first time ever um yeah we've got that coming up he's a great guy
1: yeah that was a really good interview um we've we have kept one of the pieces that we promised you in the last episode and that's the bit i wrote uh although why the hell i suggested we do this i have no idea but anyway we'll come on to that and that's uh looking at the troubles in alien and then we're going to finish so
0: off So just the, last, uh, with the another... last, point, last point I'll just say there. Um, I I have undertaken to do the homework that you gave me about uh, talking around the three-word Empire flagship, the uh, HMS Yamato. That has been bumped from this week, so apologies. Um, anybody who's looking forward to that, but it will definitely be in the next episode.
1: Yep, it's all been written and everything, hasn't it? Pretty much. it's it's, it's all been written in your head you've just got to put the words down into actual (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you have at least read the shipbuilding rules and the space combat rules and all of that to remind (laughs) yourselves how all of that works Uh, and then we've got a bit of a review of the uh, Tales of the Old West uh, uh, playtest that you are currently running, so that's it let's get straight into it, shall we?
0: our lovely new patrons
1: uh, yes, we've had so many uh, 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 patrons, new patrons join us, and also uh, top tier patrons. So um, I, I bought you uh, out of out, out of our funds uh, an effect mask, Dave. Um, I know that, you did. You know, we're talking about COVID mask, and then I had to give it to one of our patrons. So um, I know you did. So you haven't got an effect mask. I know I don't. <laughs> but have you seen the photos that our patrons have been putting up? I uh, have. Wearing? seen them? Yeah, um, yeah,
0: I'm very jealous that. But, you know, I I, I think you should send me your mask, having suitably washed and disinfected it. I was about to say, (laughs) what, you you want my mask? (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, uh,
1: so I thought, uh, in fact, uh, Niklas uh, sent us a photo only this morning or last night uh, of uh, his mask. And he says, even though in Sweden, you know, masks aren't obligatory anywhere... He says it makes him look better, so he's going to wear it all the time. So uh, (laughs) uh, if you want uh, to buy a mask, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can go to Redbubble and order it directly from Redbubble. We haven't put any sort of markup on it at all, so you're getting it at just the pure manufacturing cost and everything that Redbubble does. No money comes to us, but you do wear our brand on your face, and (laughs) so thank you very much if you choose to do that. Yes. but moving on to people that have supported us in more, shall we say, traditional ways, uh, we've got we've got a huge number of uh, patrons. But first one on my list, though, I, I'm not entirely sure we should be saying thank you, but I, we're going to because he's a returning patron, and that's <laughs> Kevin Feely.
0: We are saying uh, we are saying thank you, actually. We <laughs> yeah. are definitely why, saying why thank you. Why would not thank you, say very thank much, you to someone? Who... <laughs> well,
1: I mean, he's already been thanked once, so you know, I, I hadn't quite worked out the. Uh, does somebody get a second thanking if they if they have to drop out of supporting us uh, a while and then come back? Yes, yes they do. They of course, do. they do. Yes.
0: So thank, thank, thank you, Kevin. Kevin, and
1: welcome back to the show. Uh, your support is much appreciated. We've also got though a whole bunch of new patrons. We've got uh, Jason Coleman has joined us.
0: Welcome, welcome. Thank you,
1: thank you, Jason. And um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up this name possibly. Uh, but in uh, a new patron who you will see if you live in America, you'll recognize him by his um, face mask because he's one of the extra people. He's the one, he's the person I had to send your face mask to, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and he is uh, Ronald Oleksak I hope I've pronounced that properly. So thank you very much, Ronald. Yep,
0: yeah, Welcome and enjoy my face mask, Ronald.
1: Uh, we've also got a new patron who goes by the name only of jeffrey so jeffrey thank you thank very you. much Your you. <laughs> and the last one i just wanted to talk about and and when when this person um joined i uh, had a bit of a text conversation with you uh because this person said such nice things about our, our podcast mm-hmm. and that's saul morales and saul runs a podcast with his wife jolene um which we will put a link to in our show notes and uh, he says he was inspired to start that podcast. He and his wife were inspired. It's an RPG podcast. They talk about, they're very uh, general, more general than we are. They talk about all sorts of themes in RPGs. And it's him and his wife kind of discussing them. And uh, he says he was inspired to start that by our podcast, mm-hmm.
0: which I think is great. It is brilliant. <laughs> and uh, thank you for supporting us, uh, Saul. It's, uh, it's wonderful. Thank you very much.
1: And uh Saul is an American of Mexican heritage and he has already been um uh, he's really interested in Tales of the Old West and mm-hmm. I've charged him with looking at what we've written so far about uh the situation in Mexico and, and Texas. And um he he's he's reviewing that with his extended family. So uh oh, wow hopefully excellent. We'll get some useful observations from him on that one. So uh, yeah, thank I mean- you again, Saul, for all the support you've given us.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've said it before. I mean, we, uh, uh, as two middle-aged white boys, um, there is a hell of a lot that we don't know about the realities yes. and, and about the, the the wild west. Um And we don't want to to make any horrendous, uh, you know, inadvertent errors that are going to either jar in gaming terms or or upset people because we are just, you know, blatantly incompetent and don't know what we're talking about so um brilliant thank you Saul I can't wait to um can't wait to get your your feedback
1: yeah and the book I'm reading at the moment about the Texas Rangers actually is uh uncovering my eyes on all sorts of things and that book actually mm. was a recommendation from another one of our patrons and Toby so, uh, wasn't it thank you yeah. Toby for, yeah um for that one. But yes, uh, this is a. Uh, even, even when you think you know a bit of the history, this book is saying, well, you know what? That, that is the story that's told. But look at the, this, appears to be the reality from the various yeah. sources. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, moving on. Now, Dave, you can talk about
0: the world of gaming. We are talking about the. Oh, no. Well, we are now. No, we're not. We've been we're talking not. about the papers. <laughs> You're very confused, Dave. You're I am. very confused. So, um, in my defense, uh, and this is a great segue. UK Games Expo was quite a quite a challenging period for me. I had loads of work to do before it, and then I ran two um, Alien games—one on the Friday, one on the Saturday—and also moderated and ended up being more of a panel member actually um, on Free League's uh, horror in role playing panel on mm. the Saturday and come the come the sunday i was frazzled <laughs> my head my <laughs> head was done so i am still i'm still my excuse is i'm still not entirely recovered that's why i'm being yeah. confused but it was a great i weekend. was on holiday
1: so i um i i, I was going to be back on the sunday and quite early on in the process um we'd been approached as uh through the podcast zone for did we want to run any seminars and i talked about it with you obviously and and with our friends at free league and um we uh, brought um, uh, Matthias uh, had an idea about uh, looking at the sort of gaming law and how intimidating that is. So we mm-hmm. created that kind of under our own badge, and it didn't look initially like freely wanted to get very involved with UK Games Expo. But I think they had such a good time at GenCon even though that was also a virtual uh, convention, mm. that they came back from Gen Con saying, we want to do a lot more at UK Games Express. Right? Yeah.
0: Well, they, they, uh, they, they did the same last year um, with, with Dragon Meat. It was like, nah, yeah, don't really want to bother. Don't really want to bother. Yes, let's do everything. Um, <laughs> so maybe we, I can, we, you know, we can encourage them to go for the let's do everything slightly earlier. Um, I do, yes. Yeah. Um, I do feel feel some sympathy for Anna from Free League, who was basically running around twenty four seven for about two weeks, getting everything ready for the for Games Expo. Um, but when I when I spoke to her on Saturday, she still had a huge smile on her face. <laughs> so it was uh, yeah. it had all gone very well.
1: That's great. Uh, one thing I'm not sure worked brilliantly well uh, was the booth manning so uh, no all all the retailers had a virtual booth which is basically a chat room video chat room a bit like a sort of zoom thing um and uh they asked us if we could hang out there for various parts of the day uh i must admit i hung out talking to nobody for a bit uh, after my show on the sunday in fact after the awards on the sunday so like the Mm. last hour and I, I sat there for about half an hour and nothing happened. Uh, then I went to do some washing up and then somebody joined.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> I got a text message saying, oh, I think I could hear you doing the washing up. Okay. <laughs> so, But that was the only person I saw all weekend. Did you see anybody come to your
0: booth? No, sadly. The only person who visited me was Anna. And that's when yeah. we were on Well, we was a,
1: a very pleasant experience. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. no, it
0: was. But, it was um, lovely, lovely yeah. to chat to her. Um Properly, kind of, well, virtually face to face for the first time, which is great. But um, yeah, she visited twice on on Saturday, uh, and that was it. I, I, and I spent, I guess, about three hours, maybe three and a half, over the weekend. Um, so I, yeah, I think I agree. the 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 idea of the virtual booth, which I I thought would get at least some people interested to come and say hello to um, you know people from Free League, doesn't appear to have taken off. Doesn't appear to have um, worked. So whether yeah, it's I wouldn't whether it's, it out.
1: I just wonder whether there's a different way of publicising it. Yeah, exactly. I was mean, say, how, kind of was, how can we
0: better drive people to to, to realise yeah. that it's an option? Um, but, but given yeah. the number
1: of people, we were doing the booth at Dragon Meet, the number of people who just, you know, there were of course a huge number of people interested in the new products at that time because that was the first time anybody saw a hard copy of Alien. Yeah. But there were still a huge number of people who just wanted to come and say hi. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You um and. Maybe oh yes, it's I, I, maybe it's different. I I don't get any sense. I don't know if you have from from Millie, um, of what the what the virtual footfall was for UK Games Expo. Um, no, no. I mean, I certainly know the videos that the, the games that I ran that are so. I I on the on the Friday I ran, um, Hope's Last Hand, which is the first of the trilogy of. Hadley's Hope scenarios that we wrote for the uh, convention last year. I added a couple of bits in to make sure it would last three hours instead of the 90 minutes that it was originally designed for. Um, And that was brilliant. That was great. We had such a great laugh. Really good players. Um, The the finale was just excellent, down to one of the players playing his agenda brilliantly well. Um, And I think we've had about 800, maybe 900 views since. That's available on the... Ooh. Free League YouTube channel, and then on the Saturday we ran um, with with Doug's crowd um, and with the um, the presence of Drew Gasker. He came along and played the game as well. Um, we did a scenario that I wrote specifically specifically for um, UK Games Expo this year called District Eleven, and um, it was it was a really good game. I was I was I was slightly uh, disappointed is the wrong word, but I was. I was surprised, but perhaps in hindsight shouldn't have been, when our American players decided to go a bit more gung-ho than our British players had in the playtest... They kind of went a totally different tangent, and I had to make up some of the scenario on the run. Um, right, <laughs> but it, it worked. You were out. expecting more
1: hearts and minds approach. As, I was expecting
0: because uh, because they're an infiltration crowd. I was expecting a bit more stealth rather than oh, right. flame the first guy they came across, which is fine. <laughs> you know, it, fortunately, it turned out that he was an enemy or she was an enemy. Right, yes, um, surely good. But they didn't know that when they <laughs> when they attacked her. uh, But, yeah, it went really well. But it was um, one of those scenarios where, as a GM, about an hour in, I was thinking, okay, these guys have been captured by the UPP. They would just shoot them, I think, at this moment. So how do I get them out of this mess that they've got themselves into? Um, And. Not end the, the the scenario kind of here and now with just a mass execution of the players, but it worked yeah. out. We worked out really well in the end. Well, I, I won't spoil it. If you wanna, if you're interested to go and have a listen, go and have a listen because that is also on the um, Free League YouTube. I'm sure it's on elsewhere as well. Victory Condition Gaming. Um, if you watch their channels, uh, it will be on there as well.
1: Yes, yes. So if you subscribe <clears throat> to Victory Condition Gaming, it's on there, and it, but it's also on the Free League. YouTube yep. channel, and we will put links to it in our show notes. Yes, I
0: and mean, the one thing—the um, one thing we haven't mentioned, actually, which is terrible—is again, huge congratulations to Free League and Drew and everybody who worked on Alien for winning the People's Choice Best Game Award at UK Games Expo. So, um, best
1: role-playing game, best role-playing choice. game. Yes, of course.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So again, it's a, a brilliant reflection of how popular this game has been and how well received uh it's been by the fan base um yeah, yeah. which is which is great and it's a real a real uh you know um I know it's good
1: it didn't it didn't win last year uh, forbidden lands won both the popular award yes. and the judges award we didn't get the judges award this time but uh, but yes as you say alien is a game that fans love Just fans of free league and their style of gaming but also fans of alien so yeah uh, well, and, it, and and it's also
0: but we've talked about this before but I keep meeting people, I keep on constantly meeting people who are saying, I never used to roleplay, but I love Alien, and I got this game because of Alien, and now I roleplay. And yeah, so it's yeah. it's absolutely brilliant for that. It's been such a um, gateway drug, as Drew called it the other day, um, for so many people, which is, again, perhaps, perhaps the best thing about the game is that it's brought a lot of people into roleplaying who didn't use the role-playing. Yeah,
1: and I, I can vouch for that. I was speaking with a friend, uh, the father of a friend of my boy. And uh, he w- he was saying how much of an Alien fan he was. And I talked about, uh, at that time, um, you know, the, the fact that Alien had just won the Ennies. And um, he said, "What well, there's, there's a game of that. So I ran it for him. And um, it was his first role-playing game. And he loved mm. it. Um, cool. We did, uh, we did our scenario. We did... Um, Hope's last day—the one that's in the book. Yeah, you Hope's cool. last day. Excellent. Yeah. And it was yeah. good. I can't remember how many whether any of them survived.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: unless you can't remember the ending. But anyway, we all had fun while we were doing it. Didn't record that one though. Oh, no, okay. And it was another one in our social distancing dome.
0: Yeah. Ah, um, nice, nice. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, cool. so that's that's UK. Have we talked about your horror seminar?
0: Um, we haven't. Um. So we had a great little panel. We had um Drew Gasker came on um for Alien. We had um Nils Hintzer, who was the writer of Versen, and mm-hmm. uh Johan Noor, who's one of the two brains behind Merc Boyer, or Morkborg yeah. or Morkborgi or however anybody wants to pronounce it. And we had a really good chat. And I um, it was it was interesting. I, I was there as moderator and it turned out that the UK Games Expo technical guys kind of felt themselves as yeah, that a bit was of moderators the, um, as well um, which was great
1: because on, ta- on the tabletop uh, yeah, on the tabletop yes. was running that one um, so i think they felt that they were moderating everything too which was
0: fine because it allowed me to sit back a little bit and um be a bit more of a panel member rather than rather than a moderator and that was great That was really good we had some <laughs> you know uh, we, we had some complicated questions which um uh, uh, yeah, well, I'll let people watch the panel um, about some of that. We're trying to delve into things a bit, perhaps too deeply. And uh, maybe some of the panel members hadn't read the email I sent in detail. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but so be it. That's fine. But it was a great chat. Really good to meet, um, uh, you know, all of them. And obviously, I, I know Drew a little bit, but I hadn't met Johan or Niels before. And that was a really great opportunity to, to chat through some of those things with them. So have a listen to that. It's yes. up. Uh, um, I'm not sure.
1: You've sent me a link to that one, and that is yeah. on the On Tabletop Clips channel. And cool. we will put a link to that in our show notes. Yeah, brilliant. And then uh, on Sunday, I was back from my holiday and I ran my panel. And I have to say, my. Uh, all, all my panelists read my notes, and they did everything right. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had we had some real stars on my panel. Uh, mm. And am I'm not saying it's better than yours, but it was. <laughs> we had we, we had
0: some real stars on my panel too, mate. So come on, you know.
1: <laughs> so um, we had uh, uh, Anne Julie uh, from Aconite Books and our friend uh, a friend of the show, Geek Girl Bookworm, mm-hmm. and she was talking about L5R. Um, we had. Uh, Matthias of course because it was his idea talking about Coriolis I did have another friend of mine talking about RuneQuest and he had to suddenly drop out because he'd realised like you in fact that he'd double booked his mother's birthday with, uh, yeah. <laughs> with, with and um, uh, and so we we it, we struggled to find somebody of his calibre, but in the end, we ended up with the CEO of Chaosium,
0: Jeff Richard, <laughs> um, it's not, it's not a bad un- to talk about... It's not a bad Unquest. understudy, is it, actually?
1: Not a bad <laughs> understudy at all. And and he was really good. And uh, at the late stage, I, I, I did suddenly think a few weeks ago, you know, if we're talking about all these popular and um, quite old game worlds, we really need to talk about World of Darkness as well. And so I cast out the net for... World of uh, Darkness um, speaker. And uh, a friend of the show, Chris, from uh, Darker Days got in touch and suggested, and this was a brilliant suggestion, <laughs> uh, B. Dave Walters, who is a uh, streamer on, who's one of, the, one of the vampires on LA by night in America. And B. Dave Walters got up at 3 o'clock three in, the in the morning for him <laughs> to join our 11 o'clock panel. And he was on fire. He was (laughs) really good. And they'd all read their notes. They all knew what they wanted to say. They all kept pretty much to time. It was great. It was a really good panel. And that isn't yet online. I've just checked with Millie. It's kind of online on Twitch, but it's kind of buried in um, another stream. It will be coming out on YouTube um, probably at the beginning of next month in September. So when that comes up, we will obviously notify people to it. And yeah. that will be on the UK Games Expo channel and i think i'll be able to take the audio for that and we might make that a bonus program in this stream as well. Yeah,
0: okay cool. So so the other thing about um conventions is obviously there are there are more coming um Free League are keen to do something similar for Essen which is in late October. We've then got Dragon Meat here at the beginning of December, but we don't know yet whether that's going to be physical in any sense or whether that might just end up being virtual. Um, I haven't heard anything about planning for that. I suspect it might end up being virtual still, because social distancing will limit the numbers significantly, I suspect, which will probably make it not really viable to run. But then also then next year, Comic Con and Goth Con um so all these things are on the radar for free league but essen 22nd to the 26th of october is the the next proper uh, convention but there may be something that free league will do before that but there's no Keep official
1: your eyes and ears peeled <laughs> this is turning into quite a long world of gaming section because we've talked a lot about UKGE but there are a couple of other aspects of the world of gaming we want to touch on briefly and they are both on Kickstarter. Yep. First of all, uh our friends of the show, uh Craig and Michael, who a couple of episodes ago talked about their trilemma adventures, which that was before the Kickstarter happened. That is now happening. It is still, if you're listening to this, if we get this out soon enough, it's still going on and it's been really quite successful.
0: Yeah, it has been very successful um it's called the servants of memory it's if you recall listeners it's a, a bestiary for forbidden lands but i think you can also the intention is that you can take what's in there and uh use that in any of uh, any of your games really uh, particularly any sort of freely games as well um yeah, yeah so I it mean, started think... out
1: as a a sort of bestiary for the um forbidden, uh, the forbidden lands. adventures book That yeah. um that uh michael out about a year ago and it was going to be you know just forbidden land stats for all of the creatures are mentioned in there it has turned into so much more mm-hmm. um 505 backers uh f- almost fifteen thousand pounds raised uh they've gone through all their stretch goals and they've had to make some new ones and there's quite an exciting stretch goal i think for Players of Forbidden Lands, uh, which is the next one we're aiming for, and that is more playable King from yes. the various different yeah. features. So, um, so yeah, uh, if you manage to th- that's again that's got four more days of recording. Uh, so, if you if we manage to get this out before the first of September, then go off if you haven't backed this already, go and back the Tralima Adventures, yeah. and then. There's another reasonably successful Kickstarter that's been doing the rounds.
0: Yeah, um, it's... Um, what? Um, oh, dusky, game. um Dawn, Dawn... Um, dawn, um. Dawn. <laughs> this is such a shit um, joke. It's Twilight 2000, of course. <laughs> Twilight 2000. <laughs> this is not funny. So it's just <laughs> um, no,
1: it's not funny at all, Dave. Uh, but yes, it is doing incredibly well. At the moment... It looks like being, well, right now, it is the third most popular Kickstarter for a role-playing game that Free League have ever put out.
0: What are they at? Are they like two... 5,000 5, backers now? I think they broke that. We're their... now at
1: 5,117, <laughs> nah, which suggests cool. that we got 100 backers in a day. I think yeah. Benny, yesterday we were saying it hit 5, 5, one, Yeah. So at this stage in the campaign, actually getting 100 new backers on top of that is pretty good have how many because, days
0: left? Six days six ago now. From recording, so today is the 28th yeah. of August. So um, It'll
1: be um, reaches its goal on Thursday, September the 3rd, 8pm in local time for our Summer summertime. That's how long you've got to back. And we can see whether we can... So the only two role-playing games that have been more popular at Kickstarter were Tales from the Loop and Things from the Flood. Mm. So this could beat with six days still to go this could even beat them in the yeah. new backers um, and i'm frankly amazed <laughs> uh, you know i i'm going to and lay my cards on the go table on. here T-
0: tell me why you're amazed Matt. Uh,
1: well you know uh, our, our friend and patron of the show andy uh, used to game with us quite a lot he used to run most of our traveler sessions for us i he, he was into tw- twilight 2000 a bit I think I might have played one session. I didn't particularly like it, to be Hmm. honest. Hmm. Um, And then anyway, I was off at university and I think he played more sessions then with various people. More with you, I think. Am I right?
0: Well, I, 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 I only remember being in the game that our friend Mark ran all oh, right. Um, right yes. I don't remember playing with Andy with that one, but it might well have done because I, I try and expunge quite a lot of memories of, of Andy from and those we, early we, we years. We do try and wipe Andy out of our minds much <laughs> as, as often we as we can. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: um,
0: and I really enjoyed it. I think uh, you know, I I, I quite like that kind of of game. If you recall, I don't know if you ever played. You must have played it. When me and our old friend back in the day, Mike created our game called fields of fire which fields is of
2: fire
1: which Go is, is, yes, which is basically, basically, a,
0: basically a combat game but that was about line of sight not about how strong the tent was <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna digress so people there was there was a the, the game was a combat thing it was set in the middle east and they were having a fight yeah you around, got
1: that wrong too didn't you uh, Yeah, uh, around, the goodies and the
0: bad that, that's, that that that's true that's <laughs> true um Oh, no, I think the Iran are still quite baddies, you know. Um, uh, anyway, ah, yeah, um, yes, sir. And they're having a fight around a load of tents, and I gave them a negative for shooting through the tent to get the guy on the other side. And everyone went, oh, is this tent made out of steel or something then? And it's becomes, it was such a such an issue that they've obviously remembered... <laughs> 35 fucking it's years the only later thing i can remember <laughs> now the other thing was um our our turn order didn't work terribly well so if you you could pull a pin on a grenade on the end of one action on the one of end and of one round and it. not have time to throw it on the next one <laughs> that was, that's what playtesting is for that's what playtesting that is for is
1: exactly these are the lessons <laughs> one learns when one is doing game design i i've not I, I shouldn't discredit your game design at all. This is a, this is another digression, but I noticed you talking in the patron Discord about why it is why why do so many games have to add Cthulhu into ancient Rome or ah. zombies into uh, into the Wild West when you know the stories of Rome and the Wild West are good enough on their own. And More and than good enough. It is more than more good than, enough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I I think there is a thing about the fact that. If you don't have a fantastical element to kill, you're killing other human beings. And maybe it's a sort of squeamishness about having a game that's about having conflict with other human
0: Pits beings. people against people. Mm. Yeah. But, but every but, game but, does, though, doesn't it? I mean, you know. Yeah,
1: well, really, every game does. And, you know, Twilight 2000 and Fields of Fire, you know, there were no, there were no strange creatures in any of these games. No. Um, so that's blowing my fury <laughs> out of the water as soon as I uttered it right okay moving on
0: oh yes I, I love it I love it uh, yeah but I you know I, 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 you, I thought this would do reasonably suddenly well suddenly realize that you're talking a load of old crap <laughs> yeah
1: um uh, I, you know i talking of talking a load of old crap I thought this might get about 3,000 backers maybe 4,000 um it's it's and it's got five. Yeah, over it's 5, very interesting, isn't now, it? Uh, actually, yeah, you
0: know, I hadn't expected it to be as popular as it has been. I thought it might be slightly more kind of niche, but all those old Twilight Two Thousand players from back in the day have all come out of the woodwork. Or at least it seems to me. Maybe they're always there. I just mm. hadn't really thought about Twilight Two Thousand for such a long time that I've obviously you know, just didn't didn't notice them. But it feels to me that they've all these fans have come out of the woodwork, and it's it's really interesting to, to 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 view and watch um observe the the fan reaction to a lot of this stuff and you get right at the start there was lots of really negative stuff on social media about it right at the start and i yes. i was quite Ow. I was Possibly quite disappointed can we, we can um, really be doing about that because I thought it was really unfair, mm. um, and that seems to have died off. And now people are are talking more about I think their sacred cows in the game um, about you know I've I've seen stuff recently about yeah. not enough skills. How can how can a skill be so broad? It, you know, the Twilight Two Thousand isn't about that. It's about specialisms and it's about. Uh, you know, being an expert in certain stuff. You know, just having a drive skill shouldn't mean you can fly an Apache, mm. um, which is a which is a fair point. I, I, I get that. Yes. Um, but then they've got the idea of specialties in the game, which uh, I suspect is is you know is, is like talents and is supposed to reflect that kind of that kind of ability. I haven't seen the rules yet, so I'm not sure quite how that plays out. Mm.
1: I don't know. We're, we're speculating there, but um, but yeah, um, it, I think there is this. Obviously, Thomas said right at the beginning when this came out uh, that this is going to be a version of the Year zero system, but it's going to be a lot more uh, crunchy, as it were. You know, it, it's going to have to reflect part part of the appeal of Twilight Two Thousand is that it was a crunchy game, not as crunchy as some military <sighs> games of the time, and yeah. I'm talking um phoenix command here but pretty crunchy and, and i think thomas knows that that's and thomas let's remember was mm. a big player at twilight 2000 in his teens and you know i'm sure he liked the crunch of it as well so he's moving those things together but there's still some things you know some people are saying i want real differentiation between all these nine millimeter pistols they can't all have the same stats um and i'll be interested mm. to see whether that that appears we've had thoughts like that in fact yeah. for our um, for our western game because you know we recognize the westerns are a little bit of gun porn as well and there's got to be a bit more nuance to the gun stats yeah. than Yeah. And
0: I, and I think the way we've done it is is quite simple and we haven't done a lot. So there is there is some stuff in there that does differentiate different guns which is great mm. and I think that's probably enough for us. Um I, I yeah I, I think with something like Twilight 2000 you know what I've been thinking about what is it about the game that... What 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 crunch do people want in these games? And a lot of the conversations I see are talking about, as you say, the kind of the gun porn. I want to be able to have my heckler and cock, whatever it's called, you know, um, which has got this, that, and the other. And it's, um, you know... Because cause actually, having the idea of having your own very specialist gun that is yours is really important in that kind of game. And I think this similar thing applies to vehicles as well in Twilight 2000. So I wonder whether it's that kind of Mm. detail gear crunch, which is the most important thing, rather than the crunchiness of rules. And I suspect, or I hope, that they'll...
1: Yeah, well, there's been another interesting discussion about encumbrance and weight and bulkiness of items... Um, Of course, there was weight in Twilight 2000. Um, There hasn't, you know, in all the previous versions of Year Zero system, there's kind of a thing like you've got a number of slots. And the thing that comes up a lot in the comments on Twilight 2000 is that in Alien, uh, most guns, some big heavy guns require two slots on your equipment list, um, but... Most guns, be they pistols yeah. or rifles, only require one spot And hmm. what the hell is that all about? <laughs> yeah. Briefly from the Two Thousand fans. And I don't think, you know, I think encumbrance will be different in this game. Uh, but it's been really interesting to watch that debate and say, well, obviously the way is vitally important. Um, I did see some t- um, talking about, oh, why... Why do designers always try and simplify mm, encumbrance? It's I'm one of the sure greatest I, rules I agree. of the game. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, <laughs> no, uh, I'm remembering the you know when we were playing AD&D first edition all those years ago. There were some pretty yeah. gritty encumbrance rules, and I think we and the <laughs> oh, yeah, rest or, or of the or world what you did was you just made them. sure
0: your group had a bag um, of holding to stick everything in, um, <clears throat> and they have not got to worry about encumbrance exactly. at all. Exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> so. Uh, so, and, but that's a real shame. You know, I, I think I commented on uh, to this guy that um, encumbrance is a really good story aspect of the game. And if the games if the rules are so complex that people just ignore it, then they're missing out on a part of the game. Mm. So the platonic ideal is to get encumbrance rules that fit mm. the genre, I did, I
0: mean, you know, I, but are playable. I've never come to a role-playing game thinking, great, I'm going to get to role-play some encumbrance. You know, great, I'm going to... I, I get to roleplay carrying too much shit. You know, that, that's great. I'm going to love today. So that, I think that's part of the reason why encumbrance rules tend to get hand-waved because it's just too much bother. Um, I think the yeah. the, the Free League, the Year Zero engine works really well just as a limit to the amount you carry. So I don't think I've had a, had a game yet, or any Free League game, yeah. where I've had to invoke the encumbrance rules. I'm not even entirely sure what they are because people see that as a limit. And they go to it, and they don't go over it. And if they mm. if they if they are going to go over it, yeah. they then usually drop is- something in order to not go over it. And I think that that's quite a nice way of doing it, um, because otherwise, as you said, I think encumbrance rules can just get in the way. It's particularly if they're complicated; it becomes an element of bookkeeping, which just doesn't add very much to the game.
1: And that, well, that's been said as well. There's a lot of people who said, well. I don't find the bookkeeping a problem, then that's okay. Because, you know, yeah, maybe you're yeah. an accountant. <laughs> but for a lot of us, uh, bookkeeping isn't the thing we come to do the games for. Unless we're playing Traveller, of course, <laughs> which is all about being an accountant. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but, yeah, you know, a lot of us are coming to these games for fun. And for a lot of people, that's not necessarily the fun element. We've just put out, uh, I've just put out this morning, um, an episode of Forbidden Lands. Yep. Uh, on our AP stream, where actually all, all we do for this session pretty much is you go through a few hexes and have to deal with the crap that happens in the journey rules. There, there's been there's no great villain that appears in this episode, mm-hmm. but it's really good fun to listen to. So there there can be fun out of rules like this. I mean, no. that, those weren't particularly encumbrance based problems that you guys had, but they can you know encumbrance can create interesting story problems sometimes. And it's great to have a system that's playable so that people are encouraged to do it. Um, but yeah. you know, sometimes it just gets in the way of the fun. And uh, if it's too complex, there's too much adding up and taking away. <laughs> if you have to get Excel out to make sure you're yeah. you carrying with stuff, then you've gone too far. Yeah. Although this is a nice segue, because, of course, we are at the point where, and mm. I have, we have to explain a little bit about how this came about. This is going to be our interview with Mark Miller. There is a voice, a fourth voice that you're going to hear occasionally, quite quietly (laughs) in the background here, but he didn't say much during the interview. And uh, I want to give a shout out to our old friend and patron, Andy Brick, who um, you've heard on the show before. He He talked about Twilight 2000 when it was first announced on our show. And he set up this interview for us with Mark Miller. Mark Miller is a Facebook friend of his. Yeah. And... so you know he arranged it for us so thank you andy for setting that up and obviously we invited him to join us for the interview (laughs)
0: yeah yeah, i I expected him to be much much more loquacious than he was um and even we'd even like kind of sort of planned out some some supplementary questions to throw in and andy just completely missed all of his so i asked him instead
2: yes (laughs)
1: There was one of them where which I I I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt we were both willing yeah. him to ask that question, <laughs> and, and in the end you did and you put me yeah. out of my misery. But, no, it, was, <laughs> but
0: um, it was a great interview, and I think Andy really enjoyed it. It was a a, a highlight of his day, I think. Uh,
1: but as far as our listeners, if you're hearing these, you know, slightly strange uh, grunts and signs of satisfaction, <laughs> kind of in the background,
0: no actual sentences. <laughs> okay, that would be Andy. Have yet in place. Let's listen to the interview. <laughs>
1: It's our great honour to have one of the great old ones of role-playing games at the table or at the virtual table with us, and that's Mark Miller, once head honcho in, in Games Designers Workshop, creators of, of Traveller, and particularly, of course, what we're talking about today, Twilight 2000, and currently CEO of... Um, Uh, Far future enterprises who still retain a a version of Traveller, Traveller 5, you're still publishing. And of course, you retain the rights to all of these games. And it's through Far Future that uh, Free League have licensed
3: Twilight 2000. You You know, I I like to use the term legendary game designers workshop. It's kind of a new part of the brand name because for 22 years, game designers workshop produced cranked out games every week. I mean, literally, I did a statistical analysis. And if you count magazine issues, it was 22, one new game, one new title every 22 days for 22 years. (laughs) Uh, um, You know, Frank Chadwick is in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Gordon Wiseman is in the Hall of Fame. Traveler is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it was a wild ride say that I wish I was still on it because I don't. I mean, I have other things that I do in my life. But but we all remember GDW fondly. It was a wonderful time where game designers got to just have a good time designing games. We liked to play games. We liked this whole business and we enjoyed it. And the fact that Twilight 2000 is coming back is just a reflection of how much fun, how much these games shape people's lives. I get, Mm. I still get uh, emails from people who said, I played it when I was in the army in Germany. I played it when I was a kid in high school. I played it in college. We're blessed that that war didn't happen.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You
3: know, (laughs) that we can do this fantasy and deal with the fantasy stuff. I think the current pandemic shows us what, real crisis is like in the real world. Yeah. We all are glad that that isn't. But this is fantasy. And it's certainly a much better way to play with your fantasies of machine guns and tanks than to actually use them. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoy being associated with this. And I'm glad, glad that Free League has, has picked up and is going to make this back there in people's hands again.
0: So you mentioned the, the, the great success of Twilight 2000 back in the day. Um, what, what do you think were the key things that contributed to its success back then? I mean, you've already talked about the, the setting and the chance to play with guns and tanks in a way that's fun rather than, uh, you know, uh, otherwise deadly. But what, yeah, what else do you think contributed to its success?
3: So I'm going to take us down memory lane here because I, I remember it, and, and someone else could contradict me, but we went to Origins in Texas. And so somebody can actually see if I'm right by looking up when Origins was in Texas. But we drove down there and then we drove back and we were, it was Frank Chadwick and myself and Rich Banner, Rich is a veteran, I'm a veteran, Um, Bill Keith and Andrew Keith and Warren Wiseman. And the challenge we had was how do you do a military role-playing game where you have military rank, military structure, and people have to follow orders. We wanted to, pl- we wanted to do a role-playing game of military. And it is such a challenge because you had the voice of reason from Rich Banner and myself who say you can't just go off and do something. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. You can't make it up yourself. You can't make up your own missions. You can't just go somewhere. And... I don't know who to credit the brilliant idea of total collapse, that this box back of the original Twilight and uh, the message back and forth, things have gone wrong, you're on your own, (sighs) captured everybody's imagination. It made it possible to play this game, that if you have the military structure, you have military ranks, you have military training, you have all these weapons and equipment, but you don't have the military hierarchy to keep you. You literally have been given freedom to go somewhere and do what you need to do to survive. Uh, and that is the secret to make Twilight 2000 work. And it, it came because, you know, we talk about game design. So often game designers sit in their offices and try and think of things. And is that interaction of people Chattering with each other because they have nothing else to do. And driving from Texas to Illinois, there's nothing else to do except chatter. We're all on the same page and we were all uh, part of a group that wanted to make this design work. I am looking back at
1: lists of old origins and it suggests to me that in 1984, origins was at Dallas, Texas. Is that? Do you think that's the right year, or was it a bit it, earlier than that?
3: When did Twilight come out? Okay, I'm back here. I have my Twilight 2000 box, but it doesn't have a date on it. We don't believe in dates on boxes back that far, so <laughs> that doesn't help me. I hope I'm not contradicted now by that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There'll be fans out there. Well, if it wasn't
3: Texas,
1: know. it was somewhere a long way away from uh, from Illinois, I guess. So it was it. I think that key point of uh, realizing that if you wanted to run a military campaign that wasn't hidebound with instructions and uh, commanding officers telling you what you wanted to do, you came up with this exactly. post apocalyptic scenario. And of course, legend has it well, not just legend, but actual evidence has it that you guys then wargamed how that collapse might happen. Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
3: We did. Um, well, there's there's two elements there. We we certainly war out what we thought was gonna happen in Europe happened in Europe, and that's where we started. We wanted to pick someplace that was not ordinary, and so we picked Poland. You know, we thought Poland's been fought over a lot. You have to remember that the background for everybody at GDW was World War mm-hmm. Two, was military war games, and so We all had a good history, a good grasp of history about World War II. And 1984 or so is not that much farther, not that far away from World War II. Mm. In fact, I think we're farther away from 1984 than 84 was from World War II. How about
4: that? Probably, yeah.
3: Near enough. (laughs) So, you know, we gamed out in broad strokes what we thought was happening, what would happen. what I remember is that it was inexact what we did with Twilight 2000. There are articles in Challenge magazine about it. There are articles about where the nuclear strikes were, but so much of it was left open to the players rather than nail it down for
0: everybody. Yeah.
3: Um, you, know, you you may re- recall that the wording is, you know, There had been back and forth. There had been um, a drive by the Soviets clear to Berlin and perhaps farther, and then they were pushed back. And uh, so there was a lot of destruction. It was very reminiscent of what went on in World War II, Uh
2: um,
3: and gave people the ability then to deal with that chaotic area. Um, And of course, most people don't know what's going on in Poland anyway. So. It was kind of a fantasy land, a fairy land for people to go to. You did the same with
4: 2300, didn't you? You gamed out the background for that as well. It was the same technique.
3: You know, we were inspired by attempting to game out Twilight. Mm. That When we went to 2300, we explicitly gamed it out. <laughs> um, because We knew what we wanted to find out, um, but we gamed it out to see where the re- relationships were and everything else. The lesson I learned in 2300, I thought was an amazing lesson. We, um, we had a game, we had a, a set of game rules that we thought pretty much mimicked how the world would work. Um, and within, you know, half a decade of the war being over, the supply lines were opened again for oil to flow, <laughs> and the world started reconstructing itself. We found that our twilight war, when we played it out, did not lead the world into chaos, but it just was a blip. And then everybody went back to what they could to progress and increase technology. I thought that was an interesting, it's actually, I think, an interesting flaw in our approach to Twilight 2000. (laughs) Because in a game, Twilight is supposed to be the chaos of the aftermath of World War III, and Everybody, all the adventures, everything is about bringing things back to stability and order and a uh, rational international society. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that, that's an interesting view, uh, an interesting contrast with what we think we want, which is Mad Max. You know, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and nothing makes sense and everybody is totally chaotic. And in reality, people want to get home and rebuild their homes and rebuild their factories and go back to the comfort of, of modern consumer society. Mm. <laughs> go
0: back and put, put the tea on. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Traveller 2300, of course, is now licensed by Mongoose. It's part of their Traveller 2 mm. land. But we're looking at, um, at Free League. Um, how did they approach you to ask whether they could have the license for Twilight 2000?
3: Well, uh, when Game Designers Workshop closed down, that would have been 1996 or so, the titles reverted to their designers. And so I got Traveler, uh, Frank got Twilight 2000, Frank got Space 1889. And at the time, we didn't quite know where things were going to go. And some of those titles, individuals, designers kept, and some of them were instead put into a a secret society that controls and owns them. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the face of that secret society.
0: (laughs) Not not so secret anymore then. (laughs) Well known society.
3: (laughs) And so um, when someone says, oh, I wonder if we should do a new edition of Dark Conspiracy, They come to me, and I talk to everybody, and they say, that makes sense, let's do that. And then I am the face of the secret society, and we make it happen. Um, And so I'm the person they talk to. And in this particular case, Angus Abramson came to me and said he thought Wildlife 2000 would do well in a new edition. And uh, I agreed with him, and I thought that made a lot of sense, and he brought Free League together with us, and uh, arranged for this to to come together. So it did, and we're very happy. Free League's a great publisher, a great great channel to put Wildlife 2000 out. But they wrote a a really good proposal. You know, it's not just let's do this, I think I got about 20 pages of, of Structure and proposal. Some of which echoed what I thought should happen. Some of it was new ideas. Some of it was alternative timelines. Um, I don't know that all of it's going to happen. Mm. But as a proposal, they wrote a good proposal that I thought made a lot of sense.
0: And I think, I think the guys from Free League had a had this in the back of their mind for a, for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, and we're, 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 we're delighted to get the opportunity to, to try and make it come real. Um, how did they... Had you, had you played any free league games? Did you know much about them before they approached you?
3: I know of them, but I have not played them. Right. You know, this is a confession that maybe I'll have you edit out later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play a lot of games. Um, <laughs> I... I enjoy playing when I do play, but um, my circle doesn't play. We talk, we play at a meta level. You know, I have a group of 10 or 20 people that will come to me and say, what about this or what about that? And we are talking about the grand scale of how things happen rather than the individual play. Yeah. Um, I'll play it at conventions from time to time. And that's, I, I really enjoy that and it keeps my hand in because I have to deal with, I get to deal with strange behaviors of players. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to professional players who, so I played a game of traveler some, maybe a year ago at a convention and it was like six guys and a girl and this traveler and they're, they're doing things and they were all, they all picked Navy. They were Navy veterans and, she was a scout and she had low social and literally it turned into a trope that she was really a good player, you know, and she would suggest we should, we're investigating this wrecked ship, let's, let's go to the bridge. And so she rolled social and failed and nobody paid attention. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy sitting next to her said, he's a naval officer with high social, he said, we should go to the bridge. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yes, uh, good idea. <laughs> and everybody said, yes, yeah, that's.
3: And that just happened throughout. She was really a good player and she had to make her suggestions every time and, and fail at them and then some other guy would take credit. <laughs> that. That. <laughs> um, mm. And that just brings me back to reality about how people play as opposed to how um, experts who care about the, every little step play. Yeah, so I had a good time.
4: Had um, you, you considered a, a, another edition of Twilight before Free contacted you, or uh, was it something that was on the radar, or was it it was just floating in the secret society? Or
3: um, it, it had been discussed what we would do, mm. um, but it was about you know we had thoughts of where can we take Twilight to make it relevant to modern society. Mm. Um, uh, you know, when I was in the army, and that was in the seventies. You know, we talked about asymmetric warfare, and those projections are totally true. Yeah. And yet America doesn't, American army, most armies are not equipped for dealing with that. I, I think that that's uh, uh, the, something that Twilight has to deal with now too, or should deal with. That's what we wanted to deal with. We wanted to deal with not just um, uh, World War Three, but, cataclysms, you know, of which the pandemic is one example, but a new ice age or, um, you know, there were a a series of of cataclysm or catastrophe novels in the 60s, Uh, Day of the Triffids, um, uh, No Blade of Grass, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were great popular mainstream novels about what would happen if all the water went away from from the world drained into a hole in the bottom of the ocean and now there was no water or um, if all the if, if vegetation died or whatever that is. And those are real challenges for people, of which only one of the challenges that we've addressed is World War Three. Mm. I think there's room for Twilight to address those sort of cataclysms or catastrophes. And that was in our, our minds. Um, Free League has at least talked about doing that. But um, I think that's going to wait for a while. Uh, you
1: mentioned earlier, Mark, that it was Angus Abramson that brought you together with Free League for this edition. Yes. Um, Angus has got, you know, quite a storied history here in the UK um, with Leisure Games, a retailer, with Cubicle 7, um, is mates with um, with Mongoose and, and, and others. So... Did he recommend Free League as as the people to go to, or uh, did you did you sort of fish around with a lot of companies and and decide upon Free League?
3: <coughs> he brought us to Free League. Uh, th- this was not a pro- you know, We're talking about the business process here. It was not a process of let's get a bunch of, a bunch of candidates and let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, the secret secret cabal is is a passive organization rather than an active one. And so when someone brings us a suggestion, we um, evaluate it. You know, in some cases, someone will say, I want to do this. And it's a small, probably not very profitable enterprise, um, which is not going to touch a lot of people. And we say, sure, go ahead. You know, it's easy to get a license, a, a letter of permission from us in some way something that you want to do. There's some Twilight fanzines out there. There's some support Mm -hmm. for the old Twilight editions. Um, And we are happy to work with people. You know, I was looking at some records last night. In the early, oh, 2008 or so, we instituted um, our fair use policy. You know, in a business where the big guys send cease and desist letters, you start a fanzine for Dungeons and Dragons because you're using our name Mm -hmm. uh, and just make people have a bad taste in their mouth. Our thought has always been, we love seeing websites and spreadsheets and uh, uh, alternate histories and scenarios and uh, source books on East Africa and all these things. It's not like those are gonna take over from what we're doing. But they are support from fans, and we support it totally. That's fair use. When you get into commercial use, that's another matter. But um, we encourage people to do stuff, and we always have. And some of those are people who have a grander, a grander vision than simply I want to write a fan scene. They want to do a new edition. Um, and when they propose that, um, we evaluated on whether we think it can follow through and happen. And in this case, you know, league was pretty much a, a no-brainer.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, And even that took time, you know? It takes time to make these things happen. It feels from what you're saying there, Mark, that your philosophy is very similar to theirs in terms of wanting to engage the fan community as much as possible uh, and, and really spreading, like you say, spreading the love and, 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 and getting people engaged. Um, Yes,
3: I mean, lawyers are just crazy when they think, don't mention the name Dungeons and Dragons on the internet because you infringe on what we're doing. I mean, people love Dungeons and Dragons, and you want to encourage everybody to talk about playing it and enjoying it and their particular um, magic user and everything else. (laughs) I really think that our whole purpose is for people to play these games and the natural thing to do when you play them is to talk about them.
0: I mean, to so talk about um, development, have you had um, much involvement, or so how much involvement have you had in the development of um, the, the new edition that Free League are putting together?
3: I have had almost no involvement.
0: Right.
2: Um, and,
1: and none of the team, Frank or anybody, has, has you, you've left it up to, uh, up to, up to it up people, to, as
2: it were.
3: Yeah. Now, uh, and uh, We have total approval. You know, there is provisions in this agreement that we can tell them, don't do this, or mm. don't do that. Or usually we're more circumspect and we say, I don't think that we should do <laughs> this. You know, um, um, uh, kidnapping rings out of pizza parlors. You know. Might- <laughs> or something, or somebody thinks they're um, make comments on modern society, but we avoid that. Um, We want this to be good, clean, fun. Um, We want something, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to digress here for a minute, but you know, role-playing is this interesting enterprise that started in the early 70s with Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, and at the time, we were just Playing, I mean, I was 24 and didn't have a job and a real job, um, and I enjoyed playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was fun. Yeah. Here we are, 50 years later, and parents play this with their children. You know, grandparents play it with their grandchildren. The children are amazed that their parents or grandparents were so are so. With it, that they know this stuff that these kids play. Um, it, who would have thought that this would be a way to interact with your own children? Yeah. Um, in 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 fun ways, in interesting ways, in moral ways, are great. You know, I don't tell the kids this very often, but you know, this is a great way to talk about morality. You're just given your twelve-year-old kid. You know, a machine gun <laughs> going somewhere in the woods, looking for stuff you need, and you're going to. And uh, what a way to teach morality! <laughs> I'm hoping <laughs> you're teaching it the right way, but it's still about teaching morality. It's teaching right action. It's talking about being resourceful. Um, uh, where else do does a a young man, especially a young man, but young women these days as well, have the opportunity to budget and plan and and drive tanks and make decisions. Um, And that decision can get you killed. Mm. Learn what's about, about, to make decisions that are right action both for the moment and for the long term. So so I think these games are wonderful fun. They're wonderful instruction things as well. And uh, they're part of the mainstream of America.
0: Now, oh, excuse me, the world. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, so were there any, you, you talked about um, some of the bits and bobs that, uh, uh, you know, you get the final, um, obviously, the, the say around what's in the game. Are there any particular no-go areas that, you You've sort of expressed already to um, to free league. Um,
3: I've expressed it, and it's the first thing we talk about, and that's um, sexual content. When we when we talk about what are no go areas, the basic no go area is sexual content. That it it just distracts. I'm I, I'm against it on all grounds. I think it's offensive. I think that it does not enhance the game. You know, once upon a time I, I worked as a print broker and, and I had somebody come to me with a game and, and he wanted he felt it necessary that it have risque content. And I said, you know, you could make a lot more money if you just would publish pornography. <laughs> You're not going to make a lot of money making this risque. It's not going to make this a better game. It's not going to make you make more money.
2: It's just going
3: to take it. And so you might as well go all the way and just make stuff that is totally unacceptable to the mainstream, but don't sell it to the role-playing market.
2: No. And
3: I have to say that I don't think that it's where the role-playing market is. I don't think that that's what most people want. Um, no. And so it's pretty easy to talk to publishers, and I can gauge them uh, I can gauge their commitment to this standard um, you know some of them say oh I agree completely some of them say I have no problem with that which is not I agree with you completely that they just have done what they feel like at the moment um, but I have that commitment from Free League that they don't think that that's part of what this market is mm. um, and the rest of it is our uh, true moral quandaries, moral questions? Um, how do I tell a player he can't be evil? <laughs> I can't do that, you know. Yeah, uh, it's hard to do that. But um, I can certainly impose moral consequences or write a game in such a way. So I'm gonna. I digress. Um, someone criticized Traveler once upon a time in the early years of Traveler as scenarios were being crafted, they usually involved easy money situations of drug smuggling, you know? (laughs) And and somebody said, you know, is that really how people make their money in the future? it, (laughs) it, It was an easy way to write a scenario that everybody would understand. And we had to... Take that constructive criticism from the person and say, you're right. Mm. We need to think more deeply about the moral consequences of the adventures we, and we did. I think that we, I think that I feel badly what we had, but we did move forward and come up with better ideas from for scenarios rather than the easy tropes that are mm which brings us to a different trope entirely. that I look at the cover of Twilight 2000 from 1984 or so, and of five people, two of them were women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that was the player mix of the players, but it certainly was um, a liberated version of, we were just starting to get women to the military, and they weren't in combat rules, but the rules don't apply once everything falls apart.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: and uh, um, Twilight was about a a liberated, more liberal view of society, a more egalitarian view of society. Uh, and I think the players enjoyed that concept uh, as opposed to just a bunch of rough guys doing
0: things. Talked a little bit about um, sort of the no-go areas. Are there any? favorite aspects of the original Twilight 2000 that you are hoping to see in the new version?
3: No. <laughs> Tell, me what you think. Tell me your vision for Free League's version, you know. Sometimes... The words, I think, the words from the original Twilight became iconic. The idea of you being in the army and they take care of everything and they expect you to risk your life for them and they have reached the point that they can't save you and they say you're on your own and so you literally are are falling back on the training you received, the weapons that they have come up with, and whatever you can scrounge daily to live on as you are dealing with this chaos of after World War Three. Mm-hmm.
1: So that core concept that you thought of as a group on your way back from origins, that's the one and, and we are seeing that already. I mean it's, it's, it's right across the top of the Kickstarter page.
3: And, and we have to make it work against the backdrop of the world has changed since then but um, uh, you know, I could see many different ways of doing it, and I've talked about those. But, but that core concept is the core concept of Twilight. Um, it's a gun story. People pick, get to pick their gun that they want to use. They pick their knife when they their vehicle, and they have a good time with that. You know? But there you go. Yeah. After that, everybody makes it their own their
1: own thing. <laughs> well, that's really great to hear. We're looking forward to playing with it. I'm just looking at the page now. We're, we're just shy of 5,000 backers backing it. Uh, and the most successful games that, uh, that Free League have kick-started have been their two um, Sy- Stallenhag games. they uh, 5,000 and a couple of hundred. So within the next eight days, this might become their most successful Kickstarter. Are you surprised by that success?
3: I am not surprised. <laughs> I think that Kickstarter is, Kickstarter is this wonderful way of, of, of meeting two separate needs. You know, one is a cheap pre-order system for something that's coming out that you want to see. And that's wonderful. You know, that's, yeah. that's a way that the hobby stores can't meet Um, uh, mail order can't meet. Kickstarter is this community that lets people get in early on something that they want to see. But the other one is the opportunity to be part of the next edition. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, any one of us, there are movies that we know are coming out, and if they give me an opportunity to invest – $5 in the next Batman movie or the next Iron Man movie or Marvel something or whatever, I would do it because I want to be part of that community and I can risk $5. I don't have a hundred thousand that I can risk on Marvel, but I can certainly risk five or 10 or a (laughs) hundred. And I have to say that we really respect and appreciate that group of 5,000 people who care enough to be part of it, and to risk some of what they have to see this thing come to market.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I look back when Twilight came out, we had to put all that effort in and hope that we were going to get people's attention. And we did. But we had to hope that we would get their attention. And it was was. a risk. And uh, having people step up to the plate here with Free League and with Twilight and say, this is a game that I really enjoyed playing once upon a time and I want to see it back in print is is a great vote of confidence for
0: the game concept. Well, there's three of us in this room here, so uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're all looking forward to seeing it. Well, I packed
3: it. You packed know. you it as well.
4: <laughs> uh, I have to say, actually, um, that I think that uh, Traveller and Twilight and all the GDW games have certainly been a very large part of our role playing background at various times, um, and I would think then that the uh, the vast number of backers on the on the Kickstarter are people who remember those games um, and have come and discovered a new version of Twilight and gone, oh, I remember Twilight. I want to I want to get back into that. So. Um, I, I think that um, there's a little bit of D&DW magic, if you like, around the Kickstarter rubbing off a little. Um,
3: um, I appreciate hearing that from you. I come back to the concept of the legendary game designers workshop. Yep. But, but they didn't just come out with Traveler. They came out with On Guard before they came out with Traveler. You know, we had mm-hmm. On Guard, which is a totally different role-playing game than anything anybody had ever seen. nobody had seen anything except Dungeons and Dragons, but it showed you that you could do something different. We have Traveler, which is Dungeons and Dragons in space. <laughs> I agree, but then we have Starlight, which is World War Two Dungeons and Dragons in World War Two. Except it's not that; it is a good system for that thing. And then 2300, which is a, a realistic space game, you had Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have Space 1889, um, all of those. Uh, how did one company come up with that many role-playing games? Dungeons and Dr- TSR didn't come up with that many role. And they all have good memories for the people who played them. They weren't just throwaway games that nobody cared about. Yeah. People still care about them. Still, people still remember them fondly, and of course, that's what makes them come out and say, "Oh." probably 2000, we should, yeah, that's, I want to back that on Kickstarter. But it's not just Kickstarter, it's going to go a long way after that. Free League is the type of company that can support and keep things going. And we're looking forward to seeing what comes of it all.
4: There was an interview with Thomas recently actually, where he said that the next expansions are already pretty much written. Um, So they have a a long-term plan for for the game itself. Yeah.
1: Is there anything else, Mark, we're coming to the end of the interview now, but of course, uh, although we're all about Free League and the games they're making, is there anything that you're working on that you want to tell our fans and Free League fans about? Um, It's a a year, isn't it, since you did the last edition of of Traveller? Have have you got, um, I know you don't want to do everything a new game every 22 days now but uh <laughs> is the legendary Mark Miller working on something else you want to tell us about thank
3: you for that um, i put most of my attention into traveler you know we spent uh, original traveler was was the three little black books and then dozens of more little black books mm-hmm the the new traveler the traveler five is trying to take all tried to take all that information and put it into one central reference book or set of three reference books um, we've accomplished that which then lets us go to the next stage which is the player's manual and that distills all of that stuff into okay so do you know what the junior woodchucks manual is it's it, it's a Donald Duck reference that I... right Duck And his three nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, are Junior Woodchucks, and they wear
1: Davy Crockett hats, don't they, when they're being woodchucks?
3: Yes, yes. That's Whenever they need to know something, they turn to the Boy Scout Manual, the Junior Woodchucks Manual, which tells them the fact they needed because it has every fact in the world. (laughs) Tell me about this thing. Um, <laughs> I, I want to have a, a junior Woodchuck's manual sort of player's manual that everybody, every player has at this side on the table as they play and they can look up and see what the skills mean and, and how combat works and, and how this piece of equipment works and all that and I think we can fit that in 300 pages, 6x9 you know just a, a healthy manual for those players to have and that's what I'm working on now and do you know that I still have people who, who buy the Little Black Books you know, in, in PDF? For a while I had um, Hunter Gordon from Quick Links and Traveler T20 had, mm-hmm. created, had printed a reprint of the Three Little Black Books in one volume. It was 144 pages. Mm-hmm. And I had several cartons of those and I sold them constantly and now I'm out. So I have to do something else. And my, job, my, my current process is kind of a starter traveler um, mm-hmm. with a manual for the players rather than the big book for the referees. And I find it interesting because as I do it, I keep turning to the big book for this particular fact or this particular thing and I can easily cut and paste it and edit it for a player's mind. Um, and it's very, very useful. And so I'm, that's what I'm working on. Of course, I also exercise every day, and I uh, do other things in my life because I'm not doing one new product every 22 days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you have a sense when that project might um, might be available, Mark? What's your timeline for that?
3: Uh, I'm currently working on it. I want it done by the end of the year. Right. I'll tell you what I would like to do. I mean, it's a podcast. We'll send this out to the whole world. Um, Mayday is traveler day, you know, every yeah. Mayday. 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 Day. And I would like to do a player's manual in conjunction with a coffee table book, which would be the official guide to plastic traveler.
2: <laughs>
3: I see it eight by 10, eight and a half by 11. Um, book, which shows every one of those books that was ever produced, not only in Classic Traveler from GDW, but from Judges Guild and, and Paranoia Press and everything else, with some little couple of pages, uh, a couple of words on each thing, and some of the other things. Do you know that one of the things we produced in um, uh, for Original Traveler, for Classic Traveler, was a, a draft registration that, in the early 80s, it was uh, a big thing in America that people had to register for the draft. And so when they did, we did a draft registration and we just let people register for the draft in Traveler.
2: Hmm. And
3: then when we had Fifth Frontier War, we drafted them all, <laughs> <laughs> a generated letters that told them you've been drafted into the scouts or the Navy or the Marines or whatever, right, and right. In my character and said, here we are, and this is the war.
4: That's very clever. <laughs> I like that. And
3: I, I want, but people don't know that I'm telling you a story that you don't know or don't remember. Yeah. Um, and so I want to produce, you know, that draft registration and a sample um, letter drafting somebody. Um, I produced warrants and uh, patents of nobility for people once upon a time. You know, with little uh, skills and signatures and everything. And I have some in the files and. I want to show all those things, all the richness of what that original system was.
2: Wow.
3: And because people have fond memories of it, and I want to tell them things mm. that they never had a chance to know about. <laughs>
2: so,
3: my timeline early next year, a Kickstarter for production to get it in time for the selling season at the
0: of the year. Yeah, wow. Okay, excellent.
1: Yeah. That sounds brilliant. I think you've sold at least one. Uh, back already on that Kickstarter as soon as you do it from the way that Andy's smiling.
3: Um. <laughs> but, but let me go back here because we are talking about Twilight 2000. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, a remar- it's a remarkable game. Um, the Morrow Project got real mad at us because we had something about oil wells in Texas and it infringed on what they'd done. <laughs> you know, and they wrote... Frank a nasty letter and Frank just went to the files, pulled out his files and wrote them a nasty letter back and pointed out that they copied us. We published our module before they did theirs, you know, and all of a sudden made them shut up. Um, Because it it questioned the morality, the the ethics of us as a game company, that we would copy somebody else's work. Um, I think we can be inspired by it, but in this case, you know those charges were totally bogus because we had done ours before they did theirs. Twilight does uh, appeals to a certain segment of the population, and I don't think it's just redneck, mega hat-wearing people. I think that it's everybody. That yeah. it is, interested there. There is a large segment that's interested in it. I think Free League is going to do a great job um and i'm looking forward to seeing what they have i get to see it before you do so that's good <laughs> um, and, and i'm looking forward to seeing what how well this does of course we're already seeing how well it does so we're very happy
0: yeah, that's brilliant thank you very much mark yeah. it's been great talking
1: to you mark thank you very much uh, for this we hope that uh We'll soon have copies in our hands, and uh, maybe there'll be an opportunity to talk with you again uh, around May Day next year for your, for your yes. version of traveling.
0: Thank you so much. Or thank when you kickstart it.
4: Thank you for taking part. That's, that's yeah, not...
0: Thank you so much for your time, Mark. It was a fabulous <laughs> conversation. I thank you.
1: To it is, it all of you. Well, that was great. And uh, the thing that I think I'll remember most is that trip from texas apparently uh although they turned that game pretty d- around pretty down quick if they had the idea it, on that coming back from origins in texas and they had it out by the well, end of it's the such year a
0: long, in 1984 it's such a long but, drive they probably had it thought out and written in first draft by the time they got out of texas
1: by the time they actually arrived in <laughs> illinois <laughs> yeah um but that concept of yeah good luck you're on your own That, you know, that was there right at the seeding of the game and is thread through it. Mm. Well, we've even called this episode the same thing. It's Um, a
0: core concept, yes.
1: Yeah, it's a brilliant core concept. Although, for me, is this a particularly American thing? Um, I've always said D&D is actually... uh, Murder hobos are like um, cowboys, that D&D is actually a Western because all you do is is go into somebody else's land <laughs> kill them and take their stuff and then move on um, yeah and uh, and then move on in, importantly yeah uh, and is there a sort of sense of individuality in american role playing which says we mm. can't have command structures because you know we in in Tony's L5R campaign we you know we've been in a very religious uh, very rigid command structure in your uh, Game of Thrones campaign, we were—you know—we had a, we had a prince at the top. Yeah. I was probably the lowest-ranking person in there. We had no problem having fun with that, with with having to follow well, orders.
0: I, yeah, I, I will I will throw a, a an outlier here in though. So, the, the the campaign, the Star Trek Adventures campaign I played in the, that Tony ran, um, there was a lot of trouble in the in my players following my orders it was it was the least starfleet like bunch of starfleet officers i've ever seen in my life to the point where i even reminded the players a couple of times hang on guys you you're starfleet officers here you know not 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 because i was demanding that they just followed my orders blindly but actually there were occasions one or two occasions where i ordered them not to do things like torture prisoner prisoners um where they were like, "Nah, it's fine. I'm not really going to torture him. I'm just going to make him think I'm going to torture him. Hang on, you're Starfleet. I wonder, because I I wonder, so whether the problem, if it is a problem, or whether the the perceived um, cultural sort of trend for for American players is actually that they are so um, uh, independent that having a command structure is pointless, Or is it the other way around? That actually, in a military context, they'll be so respectful of the command structure that the person who's playing the commanding officer Mm. is kind of then expected to do everything or make all the decisions, which then takes away from the fun of the game a bit for the other players.
1: Maybe you're right, because I'm suddenly thinking of a campaign of L5R. The first one I heard, actually, that got me into the game, which was run by uh, the Happy Jacks podcast. And I remember... Uh, Stew the GM for that, saying the problem is you kept going back to the DMR yeah. and asking him what you should do. So, what I wanted to do was get rid mm. of the DMR out of the occasion so you could be your players. So maybe actually you're right that there's a respect for the chain of command in American gamers that we mm. don't necessarily have. Because uh, I remember my character in, um, or it's, 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 shall we say, we do with it a bit differently. Like um uh, my character in your Game of Thrones campaign would always say, "Well." Obviously, uh, you're the boss but you're the prince. <laughs> yeah. But this yeah. is how I deal with it. <laughs> and that
0: thing is, that worked really well in that context, because you were an old pirate, been a captain for many years, very experienced, and Tony was playing a young, a very young adult who was now the prince. Yeah, And giving that kind of mentoring advice worked really well in that. Might have been a bit different if... It, well, no, I don't think it would have been. I think even if Tony'd been older, he might have put his foot down a bit more, maybe. But still, I think the dynamic amongst all yeah. of you would have been the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I think I think we can, you know, we 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 give more flexibility and more than mm. uh, we assume. I
0: guess but, slightly but I, more
1: flexibility. But I think I'm your point about
0: mind. the demo in L Five R in your game that you played is a really good one, and that's why in in Star Trek. I, I don't like the idea that the captain of the ship is an NPC because there's just, it's just too mm. easy to, for the players, if they get stuck, they just say, okay, we'll ask the captain, what does he want us to do? And that, that takes away a lot of their agency yes. and a lot of the fun. Yeah. So actually having a character, having a player character as the captain, it means that the buck stops with the captain. So the players do have to make their minds up and make a decision. But it was brilliant. I mean, I I, I hadn't, Met Mark before, um, didn't really know what to expect. Is such a nice guy. Um, we had such a good interview. He, you know, he, yeah, he just had a lot to say, didn't he? And he's obviously got, you know, he is one of the great old ones of of uh, the role-playing community.
1: I think he prefers legendary to great old one.
0: <laughs> I noticed him bridle a little bit when I said that. I, think it's, a great, I <laughs> think it's a real compliment, actually. I mean, maybe, maybe the use of the word old yeah, is a bit... Yeah. You know, makes people rankle a little bit. But um, <laughs> it was great. It was a brilliant interview. And I definitely, we will extend an invite to him to come on the show again when his um, projects are at the point where that will be useful. Three World Empire and The Troubles. Matthew, do you want to... Um... <laughs> I want to I
1: preface this. Oh, I want to preface <laughs> this. With the, uh, the Two things went wrong here. First of all, I flippantly said something kind of full of patriotic fervor when i was writing about the three world empire and getting not patriotic fervor actually it wasn't patriotic but it was it was kind of offhand i said well obviously if we're going to be basing this in if we're going to be imagining a, a fiction written in the eighties, it's got to involve the Falklands and it's got to involve the Troubles. Uh, and then you said, "You fool!" You said, "Well, tell you what? Why didn't you write that up for the <laughs> next adventure?" I go, oh yeah, of course, of course I will. I'd love to do that. That's as easy as
0: pie. I I'm not the fool here, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I take all the blame myself. Uh, I'm trying to pass it off on you. So yeah, um, but I think it does. It, 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 we had a brief discussion uh, with one of our patrons uh, on the Discord about the fact that I don't think you can take politics out of gaming. Um, but I think what this
0: does is
1: uh, show a little bit of insight into what you have to think about when you're when you're putting politics in gaming. Shall we say well, that?
0: Then, well, let's have a listen and the listeners can make up their own minds. Yeah, good idea. Cool.
1: Don't leave us, listeners. I'm sorry if you're offended.
0: <laughs> right, I, I'm sure they won't be offended because they know full well that our hearts are in the right place even if, even if we might stumble once in a while.
1: Last episode, I was challenged to imagine the Three World Empires' Northern Ireland. It was my own stupid fault. I made the case in the last episode that the Three World Empire should be a reflection of Britain in the late 70s and early 80s. It should probably also reflect Japan and India in that period too, but I know nothing about the political situation there at that time, so let's leave that aside for the moment and concentrate on the troubles. And as I say that, I am immediately aware that as an Englishman, I actually, really, know next to nothing about that conflict even though it was something I grew up with and even though I had friends on both sides of the conflict in the 90s. But for the sake of context, I am going to attempt the stupidest thing in the world and try to summarise the conflict in as non-partisan a way as I can. The troubles refers to a specific period starting in the late 60s and ending with the good friday agreement in 1988 in northern ireland the corner of the island of ireland which since the creation of the irish free state in 1922 remained part of the united kingdom i'm not going to get into the detail of why which would take us into the realms of being an entirely different sort of podcast Instead, I am going to oversimplify the situation by saying that there was and is a significantly large population of Protestants in some of these northeastern counties, and those people consider themselves Unionists. In the early 60s around the world, civil rights movements began to make headway. Just as Martin Luther King spoke and organised in the southern US, so too in Northern Ireland people spoke out against inequalities between Catholics and Protestants. Though I promised I would not go into detail, I think it's important to list some of those inequalities as they have resonance with the situation in other parts of the world at the time and even now, and with potential situations in the future alien universe. For example, there was gerrymandering of electoral boundaries to ensure that the Protestant Unionists retained political power even in places with Catholic majorities. The gerrymandering was made easier because there was not universal suffrage. Only householders could vote. Remember, this is the early 60s. I was shocked when I found out. The police force was 90% Protestant, and had special powers of search without warrant, and arrest and imprisonment without trial, which of course were pretty much exclusively used on Catholics. And there were plenty of examples of softer discrimination, preference given to Protestants for jobs and housing. This isn't meant to be a history lesson, but long story short, some small concessions were made to the Catholics, Protestants protested, tensions were raised, clashes became more violent. From south of the border, the Irish Taoiseach called for a UN peacekeeping force, but instead the British Army was deployed to build a barrier between the most violent communities. Militants on both sides formed militia units, things got worse. The rest, as they say, is history. So, how am I going to reflect that in Alien? And why, even? The why is the easy bit, because conflict is messy, and Alien is a messy world, because Two communities clashing over a long and complex history is exactly the sort of conflict your space marines would be dropped into, not knowing which side has justice on their side, or who might be trusted, or whether your assigned targets are the right ones. There is only one certain enemy in Alien, and that's the xenomorphs. Everything else should be a moral maze. So, the how. And the where. Last episode I said Corona. I have no idea where that is. It's not mentioned on the map, just in text on page 224. That gives us the opportunity to put it anywhere. But thinking about it, it should be pretty close the solar core, both to mirror the nature of Northern Ireland's proximity to Britain and to imagine a relatively long history on the colony itself, so that deep-seated historical differences can be found on both sides. Perhaps it is in a cluster of stars known as Proxima Centauri, but there are a lot of mentions of US colonial marine bases there, so maybe I should switch it to the named colony that is mentioned on the map, Gorham's Folly. But who lives there? And what is that central conflict between two communities? Now, my first thought was to better reflect the more international nature of the Three World Empire. But this is a quagmire I'm not going to step into. Who am I, a European, to start creating strife between two different interpretations of Buddhism, for example, or between Muslims and Hindus, or between Hindus and Buddhists? So my future conflict will at least be based in the Judeo-Christian culture that I know a little about. But it won't be between Catholics and Protestants. I will create two new space denominations to clash on Gorham's Folly. And we've already got inspiration for one of those. Archeon, the wooden space station dreamed up for an unused Alien 3 script and given new life on page 157 of the role-playing game. All we know about the monks who inhabit Archeon is that they were an unnamed back-to-nature movement, who released the new plague. No, not coronavirus, but a computer virus that wiped out, and I quote, an inordinate amount of data on Earth. And it seems, handily for our aesthetics, all displays more advanced than green-screen cathode ray tubes. Well, I have a name for them – It was the name of an order I created for the Firefly role-playing game. Actually, I was imagining it might be Shepherd Book's order back then, but it fits even better for the inhabitants of a wooden space station. The Carpenters So, a significant proportion of the population of Gorham's Folly are carpenters. They are not as radical as the followers of St Thomas, but they are tainted with his reputation. The new plague was considered an act of terrorism, and carpenter citizens on Gorham's Folly suffer from various forms of discrimination poor housing, persecution by a non representative police force, gerrymandering, poor employment opportunities, etc. For example, perhaps Gorham's Folly is famous for its shipyards, perhaps the new Royal Navy joint flagship HMS Yamato is being built there but none of the skilled jobs go to the carpenter population. Note, they're not direct analogues of Catholics in Northern Ireland. The carpenters, as their name and back-to-nature philosophy suggests, are probably more Protestant in their worship and organisation, and I would be inclined to draw influences for their way of life from the Quakers and the Amish which means that the oppressive, established church on Gorham's Folly is a more colourful Catholic, with a small c, faith. In my old Firefly campaign, the Carpenters were going to eventually face off against the Intercessionists, so I might as well port that name over for the majority faith on Gorham's Folly, though... Be aware that gerrymandering may be keeping them as an electoral majority, while they could, in fact, be outnumbered statistically by the carpenter population. Of course, 70% of the colony's police force are intercessionists, and maybe most of the rest is made up of other faiths, Sikhs, Muslims, Buddhists, etc., as befits the nature of the empire. There are no good guys and bad guys here. Neither the intercessionists nor the carpenters are evil, even though a carpenter terrorist did wipe out most of humanity's computers that time and forced us all to use green screens. But there are radicals in both populations, who perhaps value human life less than their ideals. In the playtest of Destroyer of Worlds, we tried a character I enjoyed having on the team, but who didn't make the cut for the final published version, a local marshal having to work with the marines. I'm already revisiting that situation in my head, and thinking about a local constable from the minority carpenter population, trusted by neither side, who has to work with a squad of Royal Marines to uncover a plot by an intercessionist militia who plan to blame something more horrific than a bomb on the Carpenters.
0: Uh, yeah, I, that's really interesting, Matt. And I, I, I could kind of sense um, your internal struggle as you were writing it about how to do it in the, most, in the proper way. Um, because obviously the, the Troubles was a very difficult time in, in British history and Irish history and um, you know the last thing we want to do is 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 downplay it or trivialise it or anything in any, any way at all but I think like you said that games do reflect the political world in which we live and the historical world in which we live because thankfully the Troubles are largely in the past now even though there's still a little bit of residual dissident trouble going on yeah. but um and i think northern ireland is is a great uh, it, it's a melting pot of so many themes and so many issues that it's it's almost inevitable that we'd want to do something in a gaming sense to explore some of that and if yeah. nothing and if nothing else it would bring a good game and also it might open people's eyes to the to the truth um of you know of the of the of the experience that people had on both sides of the divide during that time so if it gets people interested in the history and they learn a bit more about it then that's a great thing as well as having the opportunity to play yeah, you know, a game that is fun and also a bit challenging in in delving into what are some you know can be some very difficult issues
1: yeah i mean i think it's interesting though because i was thinking well, let me let me tell you about the, my process. So, so, first of all, I thought, well, we need to make this more internationalist because the three world empire is not British. So let let let's expand it out and let's think about a conflict that isn't necessarily about specifically um a European tradition yeah. of uh, Christianity. And so I thought, oh, the, the easiest thing to do is to maybe you know look at um, something a bit like the Tamil Tiger conflict in. Um, In Sri Lanka. Lanka. And then and then immediately I went, but I know bugger all about the Tamil Tiger conflict in Sri Lanka. (laughs) I am sure to be offending both sides if I start writing that. And then I'm when and you know, we can think about other sorts of conflicts. You know, there's, I, I know there's a bit of an internecine conflict between two major bits of Buddhism. Um, and, but I don't know, that's about as much as I know that, that there is <laughs> such a thing. I, I don't know quite how it is. So immediately you start thinking about all this stuff you don't know about all these situations. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know much, to be frank, about um, the Northern Irish conflict. I, you know, I have got friends in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, and, and from both sides, I uh, yeah. often tell the story of um, going to the funeral or going to a sort of wake, actually, I should say, mm-hmm. of a Northern Irish friend of mine who was a Protestant unionist, but all his best mates were Catholic mm-hmm. Republicans. And so the people we were with were was a largely Catholic Republican community. Yeah, And I remember, you know, at one point saying, Oh, I want to visit a museum in London, Derry. And everybody went, Derry! In a really cross voice but then yeah. said, "But you can boil my car." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so you know, there's there's all those little nuances and 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 stuff like that. And so I thought, well, this is actually that's the safest route to take. But even that suddenly doesn't feel safe when you've considered all those other conflicts and how little you know about them. I feel yeah, and yeah. and yet it's easier for us to write about the UPP being the bad guys. Hmm, and yeah. and I you know and I'm, I'm just intrigued by that difference uh yeah. why why we can why we can paint the upp as bad guys or you know we we have played a game where we've been upp people and i guess i was the bad guy because i was the united americas spy but um
0: yeah well also yeah. in 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 the game that i ran on on saturday uk games expo um district 11 the the, the whole point of that game was that the upp people you meet in it Aren't the bad guys? They're the good guys. Mm. And the United Americas and the wayland Italia guys, the players, should have realised that actually, yes, we're the bad guys in this, and we need to do something to try and you know redeem ourselves in some sense. Um, but I, I think you know I do I totally get where you're coming from, and we've we've both made the point that if you're dealing with this kind of material, you have to be a little bit careful. I think we we can be we we can almost. Worry ourselves into uh, a kind of a rictus of doing nothing Um, because we get so worried about offending somebody uh, or misrepresenting something. I think the the good thing you did there is the the last third of that piece, the last quarter of that piece, is translating it into an alien fictional world.
1: The last half. Last <clears> half, <throat> honestly, it feels okay, like it's mostly me going. I can't do this. But last actually, it's half, last me half, me going. I can't do yeah. this, and then me doing um, it.
0: <laughs> but I think, so again, I think it was absolutely right to caveat and and to kind of foreshadow your process because it's a uh, you know an aspect of history that is, is is not only still pretty fresh, but obviously you know there's a lot of people um, affected by it. But then yeah, turn, and- turning that into the fictional thing is. It is the power of role playing, I think, or is the power of story writing? Because you can draw out those themes in a way that is perhaps easier for somebody who isn't familiar with it than trying to draw out the real. You know, making a parallel is probably easier than having them necessarily look at the history in detail because they might they might not be interested yeah. in doing that because they might, for whatever reason, but in drawing a parallel in a game that is oh okay that. That this kind of thing was happening in Northern Ireland, or in East Timor, or in India, or wherever it may be, um, might spark somebody's interest to go and actually learn about it. What really happened, which I think is an important yeah. point. And
1: I, uh, I think the final point, though, is that you know, by the time I'd worked out what all the different people were and started painting, just in very broad strokes, this world, I really want to write the <laughs> scenario now, uh, um, and I want to make it a bit like. The Destroyer of Worlds game that we played, yeah. which other people don't get to play, where you've got, you know, your, your civilian, and in, in my case, it'd be a minority civilian, um, police officer with a bunch of Royal Marines or something. Yes. And I'm, I'm covering something a bit like Harry's game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to think more of the plot now, but, I, but I, I'm really enthused. Having yeah. gone through all that angst, I'm really enthused by what I ended up with. So um, mm-hmm. maybe we can.
0: My my last comment is when I when I was um, reading it first off, when you're calling the uh, one side of them the carpenters, I couldn't. <laughs> yes. the obvious, the carpenters, the Karen Carpenter, and uh, all that music <laughs> just came to <laughs> mind, which kind of spoiled the uh, the ambience a little bit for me. But uh, no, it was an excellent piece, Matt. Well done, and um, a good challenge, and well um, well approached.
1: Yeah, I might make the car. I, no, I'm, you're, you're right about that. Maybe I should take the plural off the carpenters and just call them a carpenter community or something. But anyway, there we, we'll will I think we'll fix I think it works fine. Actually, it's just it's just it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I,
4: I although I, I,
1: uh, now I now want to name each act after a different carpenter song, but um,
2: I'll get over that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've only just begun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be Act 1, obviously. Um, yeah. Right, okay, everybody. we're now going to do the last half hour of the podcast. It's Matthew and I singing Carpenter's songs. No, we're not. The last half hour has <laughs> come
1: And, you know, this is this actually is an interesting parallel because the other thing we're working on is um, Tales of the Old West. Yeah. Where, again, there is, uh, shall we say, a conflicted history uh, and we're we're basing this quite a lot on the real world, and we're dealing with some quite uncomfortable stuff. Mm. That might not have be appearing in your current um, playtest, but uh, what, what's been happening in your current playtest, and um, has anything controversial appeared so far?
0: Um, I'm not sure anything particularly controversial has happened. So um, the last two sessions we ran uh, over the last month or so one was a, uh, we only had three players for this, but we, uh, the, the, the guy that they'd worked for previously in the town, a guy called Ellis Rockliffe, who had uh, previously employed them to, in effect, pretend to find his daughter who he said had run away, but actually she'd been beaten up by him so badly that um, she was put uh, out of the way so she could heal. And they they found her. They found they un they uncovered the story. Um, they had a moral kind of decision quandary, ethical quandary to to grapple with around whether they reveal what's going on and Rockcliffe gets suitably kind of punished or shamed in public, or whether they kind of take the money and run and keep his secret. They decided to take the money and run and keep his secret, um, which uh, yeah, I guess is a in, in a sense for the players, the characters, that might well be what they would do because they're, they're all very poor and struggling to survive. So in the second scenario, they, they had a commission from him to go and collect a body of a friend of his uh, and it turned out that this body was of a guy who was a notorious Indian scalp hunter and they they got his body and they like were don't want to know who he is, don't want to know what's going on um, but they couldn't resist opening up the casket and searching his possessions as they came back <laughs> um, which I kind of wanted them to do because that was uh, a bit of the but you uh, put a bunch of clues in there I guess. <laughs> so and in there there was some nice stuff. he had some nice guns that they stole um, but he also had a deed to uh, an Indian reservation signed by the governor but with the owner of the deed um, left blank so it could be filled in by anybody
2: Mm-hmm. Um
0: and this is obviously what Rockcliffe was wanting because he wanted to obviously get the land for himself. And they 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 did kind of they struggled a bit with um you know this is this is wrong obviously. Um this is Indian reservation territory which is being just stolen effectively. Um but they didn't really have a plan for what to do with it. So in the end they they took the the deed um and when Rockcliffe searched the body, he was obviously very angry and they then handed over the deed rather than saying, What deed? Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so so again they kind of took the path of least resistance. Cowards. Um, but in that there was a bunch of bounty hunters who were also after it. So we were able to play test the combat rules. Um mm. which, which worked out which worked really well, actually, again. So that's quite encouraging. The last scenario, um, I was principally wanting to test the gambling rules. And uh, that, again, that worked well. The halfway through it, I was kind of making it up on the hoof because I hadn't had time to actually do very much. But it's all based around the Harvest Festival. It's harvest time now. It's been a really good year. The The town is having a big, a big festival, having a big church service. And one of the characters is the preacher. So he's under some pressure to do a really good service. Um, one of the saloon owners has been um, casting aspersions about the players and about one of them that owns a saloon, and he's uh, he's a, uh, a former slave. He's an African American mm-hmm. who has made good and has enough money to set up his own his own saloon. It, it's it's in the shit end of town because that was all he was allowed uh, to do, and only the kind of the worst people in the town go to it. But um, this other this other saloon owner is 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 uh, angry about it. Anyway, he came and challenged them in their saloon, um, and as he walked out, he was then shot dead by somebody through the window from outside, and we the, don't know who uh,
1: the other saloon
0: owner. The other saloon owner, <clears throat> <laughs> and we don't know who that was. So that's where
1: these guys are gonna get accused. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where it ended.
0: Um, So the next, I've got a pretty good idea who did it and why, but um, yeah, obviously the players are gonna be gonna be accused. So anyway, in that we had quite a lot of gambling that actually worked really well. Um, A bit of feedback about perhaps making the um, the tactics of how you play cards slightly more. uh, a big, a bigger difference between them. So, in, the way we're doing it is, mm. you you get dealt, you know, you, you roll to see how the cards are treating you, and they might be, you might be getting a great hand each time, mm-hmm. or you might be getting a shit hand. And this applies mm. for the session. And the session of gambling is about an hour ish in my mind. And in that so hour, it's the more
1: ca- than one hand. It's more
0: than one. You could, you could play it as one hand if you wanted to, but I want to give a sense of you've been sat playing all evening, kind of thing. Yeah. When you get that, you can then either cheat, or you can bluff, or you can just play the cards you've been dealt. And each of those comes with a different skill to gamble with and mm. a different bonus depending on depending on the cards you're dealt. The players felt that the difference between those bonuses wasn't big enough. Because oh, you really? get you, you get somebody with um, who's good at bluffing, and he might be much better at bluffing than anything else. And the negative that we put on for, for bluffing repeatedly isn't enough of a disincentive. Also, there was a sense that you could...
1: So what? So uh, what is the negative? Remind me.
0: So, well, because I, I, so I'm the...
1: always quite a fan of keeping the modifiers between minus three and plus three dice. Um... Yeah,
0: so you get a cumulative negative... So for each session you play, if you choose the same tactic session after session, you get a cumulative minus one bonus as no. the other players are basically sussing you out. Yeah you know, they're realizing that you're bluffing all the time or you're cheating you know maybe not cheating because that would probably end up in a bit of a gunfight. So that bonus isn't enough or that negative isn't enough to disincentivize somebody who's just really good at bluffing from bluffing yeah, every effectively, time.
1: Effectively they're only going to risk it with a minus 3 negative kind of that that's that's bloody midnight if you start in the evening and you're talking about an hour every time. <laughs> yes
0: yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. So so I think we need to modify those a little bit the um the other thing that came up with that was um maybe you can um the the other alternative was maybe you should be barred from doing the same tactic twice so you'd have to change up your tactics so if you bluffed on one session you'd either have to cheat or play on the next session
1: you know that that that's an artificial. Um, yeah, thing, it might be better
0: just to yeah, it might be better just to make a much like you say make the make the negative minus three or something rather than minus yeah. one because that would be a real disincentive potentially.
1: Or even minus two, so you know halfway through the evening you're at minus four, as it were. Mm, and yeah, that should be enough to want to change your tactics.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, that, we, that might that yeah, might be a good one. Okay. The uh, other the other thing that was interesting, we had quite a good discussion about faith. Um, and mm-hmm. our faith mechanic. Um, I won't go into too much detail here, but I think it feels like we we might want to do a few little tweaks to that. Now I'm going to oh. write I'm going to write up the ideas that came out of the game, because um, certain things just seem to don't seem to work um, really well. So, for example, rega- regaining faith. I think the idea of so we've got two elements, two ways of regaining faith. Principally, one is something an action you could do kind of instantly, just in a round, very yeah. quick. And that allows you to regain a point of faith. But the players have felt, and it, it feels a bit like um, that just becomes a bit mechanical. You just say, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, do that and do the other. And whoops, I've suddenly got three faith back. The ritual side of it, where you have to spend maybe a shift to regain a point of faith, I think works really well. Um, but whether we how, we, how we then modify that, I think um, uh, applies. Also, perhaps the the, the, the risk of, of, lose, of going down to zero faith, whereby you might, you're starting to test your faith, you might lose it. Uh, yeah. The way the rules are written at the moment, it's not threatening enough. It's very, okay. very easy to, to get into quite a minus before you're actually really risking anything. The players also felt that maybe if we could have a mechanic where zero faith is the minimum and you don't go into a negative, it would be simpler and a bit easier to manage. Okay. So um I'll write up the thoughts probably this weekend and I'll sing them over to you to have a look. Um cool. but yeah, it's great. The the guys are really getting into the playtest vibe and um yeah, it's going very well so far. But I'm quite keen to to press on with it pretty quickly because um you know let's 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 get it let's get it into the position where we can have a conversation with, with other people about it. Yeah. Cool, that's probably more than enough for <laughs> That day. is
1: enough for us So we have recorded an hour and 10 minutes And we're probably going to add Another 50 minutes or something Yes onto that. So this <laughs> so turns out, as usual, to be a long episode Just as well we didn't do that uh, uh, HMS Yamato design
0: um, We'll do that next time So
1: Yeah, obviously it's a pity You had to drop it after you worked so hard On it <laughs> <laughs> But you'll have plenty of time to work so hard polish it it, polish it up polish it up yeah (laughs) Um, and that's what so that's one thing that we'll be talking about next week but there will be some content that will mostly be about freely games in about three weeks
0: it's uh, well it's goodbye for me and it's goodbye from him
2: and And may may the the (laughs) icons
0: bless your adventures you have been listening to the effect podcast presented by fiction suit and the rpg gods Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.